Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. All right, folks, it's good to be back. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. If you understand what Christmas is about, which is the birth of our Savior, you can't ruin Christmas. And I hope you had a great new year. We rang in a a new year. I didn't do fireworks this year, watched others, but we went to a party, uh, kind of a dress up whodunit party. I enjoyed it. Uh, Didn't drink a whole lot, but and I can't anymore, but I had a good time and it's good to be back. And if you've kept up with what I've been doing on social media and on the website, I've committed 2022 to be in the year we take a wrecking ball to what has become our governmental institutions from city councils, uh, your school boards, your emergency service districts, your county commissioners, all the way up to your state governments, all the way up to the federal government. We have, as they say, a rather large swamp. And the swamp creatures are on both sides of the aisle. Everybody says, well, it's just the Democrats. Well, no, it's not. Uh, We've got a lot of problems with a lot of the Republicans at every level. Um, Just because they have an R beside their name doesn't mean that they're a conservative. So it's time to start flushing some people out. So in the attempt to start grading that great big toilet that we're going to hit the plunger on, the only way you find out is if you talk with new people and find out what they want. Today, we're going to be talking with Jason. He calls himself the Storm Nelson, and we'll get into that in just a second. He is challenging incumbent Republican House member Pete Sessions. Now, this is Pete's second go-around. Pete was over in Dallas for a number of years, lost that to Colin Allred, took some time off. Uh, He's in the Congressional District 17, which was Bill Flores. That was a district that was reformed. Uh, Bill Flores took that away uh, from Chet Edwards. And Bill retired. Pete ran for that and won that. Um, and I'm not saying Pete's a bad guy. Uh, he's certainly not a commie, but I'm also not going to tell you Pete's a firebrand. Uh, he's not been out there doing things that I think he should. As such, Jason's wanting to come in and tell you why he thinks he wants to replace Pete Sessions in the Republican Party for the CD17 seat. Folks, welcome, welcome Jason Nelson. Jason, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and, uh, how you got here and why you want to get into the gladiatorial combat sport of politics. Hey, Darren, I I really, first of all, appreciate you having me on. It's a great opportunity. Anytime you can speak directly to the constituents. I think that uh, there's a real disconnect between Washington, DC. And I know this sounds like a canned candidate answer, but there's a real disconnect between uh, both the process and the people in Washington, DC and the people they're supposed to be representing. Uh, I don't think it's hard to do these jobs, I think it requires hard work. And I I don't see a lot of that. So uh, again, my name's Jason Nelson. Um, My call sign's been Storm Chaser forever. I just retired from the Army um, actually a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was in the Marine Corps prior to being in the Army. I'm very proud of having served. Okay, uh, whoa, whoa, back up for a second. Sorry. How do you go from the Marines to the Army? I didn't think you mixed metaphors in armed services. Oh, well, what happened was when I got out of the Marine Corps, I went to college. And once the Marines learned that I knew how to read, uh, they would only let me go back in the Army. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, that, that happened. 
Ouch. So I'd, I'd learned to count. There are some jar heads that are really hurting on that one right now. You know, the thing about them is they're just going to eat a crayon and forget all about it. So it won't matter. <laughs> Uh, I know I keep a whole stock of them. So, uh, so yeah, everybody calls me storm. I, I tend to have a tendency to rush into danger. Uh, and, uh, I, it's not that I'm crazy. It's that I'm a person who enjoys taking on responsibility and, and having to address, uh, important things and make those decisions and be accountable for them. Uh, I'm running for Congress because, because we can't take it anymore. Uh, and I know that it, it's easy to say you're angry, um, but I just, we are not represented. And it, whether it started with the uh, tax and spend policies, whether it started with the, the wokeness in our military, um, I, I don't know what drove me initially to start to say we need to do something. But I think that my last duty station up right by D.C. actually led me to know that there's just a bunch of children up there. Even the things we foundationally agree on, they can no longer uh, even get done. And I think that they need someone up there who's willing to do the nitty gritty within the district while at the same time being willing to carry the banner of conservatism in Washington, D.C. and be proud of it. Now, let me ask you a question. You're, you're taking on an, an incumbent Republican. Yes. I've been in your seat, except on a state level, a little over 12 years ago. Uh, you're not going to get anybody in the state or national party that's going to come out and support you because you're challenging an incumbent Republican. You got to do a lot of things on your own. Uh, have you have you had a chance to sit down and talk to Pete yet? Call him up and say, hey, hey I'm challenging you. Here's why. Maybe you should resign. You know, have you done any of that yet? You know, I, I didn't move to this district to run against Pete. I moved to this district because this is where our family is going to, uh, you know, we're going to raise our three children. I had some, uh, um, over the last year, as I was going through my retirement, had some issues and I reached out to my congressional representative multiple times uh, to their office. Uh, I, I happen to be very blessed and have friends in, in places they were able to reach directly out to his office. And I was ignored. Uh, it's part of the reason why I'm, why I'm running. It was a very important issue. Um, so you didn't get any return call at all? No, that's when as a constituent. Now, I went to his office directly when I was making the decision to run. I went up and saw uh, Judge Carter. He was very nice. Uh, again, I know that a sitting Congress member cannot uh, endorse uh, somebody when it's in their own party. I get that. Uh, but I did go have conversations with people, um, and I tried to meet with uh, the congressman then. He, he has no interest. I, I think he feels that he's safe. Uh, he spent 20 years in, in Dallas, and now he's been down here for two, and I don't think he sees it as a viable challenge. I, I, I don't think the voters see it that way. Uh, the district has been completely reformed. Um, we've taken over uh, uh, Louis Gomer's, uh, excuse me, Representative Louis Gomer's uh, five counties from him. Uh, he's outgoing. He's going into the AG race. I think he'd be happy to endorse me. I think that uh, the style of leadership that he's shown, I'd like to build upon that. I'd like to continue direct access to the constituents. I'd like to put a, a, a seat in, or excuse me, an office in every single county. Uh, and I'd like to be accountable to the people of this district. And he's done a great job. And I don't see why he wouldn't endorse me. I know that him and I see eye to eye on many things. Um, but it's a blood sport. Politics is. I, I didn't get involved. Um, I'm not an idiot, um, but I, I know it's a blood sport. Um, but I don't think that uh, Pete Sessions has built a lot of uh, inroads in this community. I ask most people and they have no idea who he is. They just know he exists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. OK. All right. Well, let's let's dive into a few things. First off, I want to I'm going to give you the questions we're going to ask. Then we'll get around to some of the things of what the committees and such you'd like to be on. Um, where, what is your stand on term limits 
in terms of would you be willing to carry a number one, do you support it? And B, if you if you do support it, would you be willing to carry a bill to the floor for a vote, regardless of whether it's successful or not? So yes and yes, that's the easy question, right? So I don't, I, I have my own views on how long I think that should be. And, and I think that's up for argument and debate. Um, that is the part. As far as whether or not there should be term limits, there is no debate on that. I absolutely believe there should be. Would I be willing to carry a bill? Absolutely. Do I think that, it, that the, the parasites who live in districts where they are completely safe and spend 20, 22 years in Congress, do I think they're going to support that? Absolutely not. They're going to bring that argument of, well, if I'm doing a good job, why should I leave? And I'd say, well, the House of Representatives, the lower house in our legislation was designed to have common people go in and be uh, and have relevant information on what's going on in their communities. So what can I do? Uh, I can lead from the front. I'm going there for six years. That's it. I'm done. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm the most successful congressman, have 50 bills with my name on them. Uh, I'm on the best committees uh, and they want to make me House Speaker. I'm walking away. Because I have a young family and I want to be here for them and they're not coming with me to D.C. And I'm not going to spend more than that much time away from them. I can commit to six years. I guarantee I will give them six years, uh, but I can't promise them any more than that. So I won't. I won't. I promise them I'll just stop. Well, let's let's pivot real quick. You mentioned committees. What committees would you like to be on if you were elected and you had your choice of which ones you could be selected for? So there's a number of committees I know that are important to. uh, my community. The problem is, as you're aware, when you go in as a, as a freshman congressman, you're not going to have that opportunity to get on the committees that you'd like because those are often taken by ranking members. However, what you can do is take your constituency and the groups they represent, whether it be through the energy sector, um, especially appropriations when you look at uh, Fort Hood being so close to my district and the impacts it have. Um, there are, are technology committees that I'd like to see Baylor become involved in. Uh, I know that Elon Musk is one of my constituents, and I know he has a, a great interest in that. Um, personally, uh, there are health and human services committees and subcommittees I'd like to be on. I'd like to have Fauci come in and answer for what's happened over the last two years. Um, I don't think these are controversial things, and I think that uh, what you want to do is be able to be on a national platform while also serving on committees that would best represent your district. But appropriations would be the end goal because you have an opportunity to control spending and actually influence and bring down the budget in this country. Well, speaking of the budget, would you support a balanced budget amendment? I absolutely think that's necessary, period. Now, there's now the reason I throw that in, it's a little bit of a trap, so just hang tight. There's a lot of those that used to say, well, I, you know, it was one vote away from happening in the 90s. And they're going, oh, I'm so glad it didn't happen now, because if it did, it would have trapped us into additional taxation from the Democrats on spending. What's your, what's your response to that? That's a false dichotomy. When you sit here and say our only options are this or this, uh, yet when we are looking at the um, what happened over the last couple of years as we surged towards energy independence, which President Biden has now squashed, is that we have uh, lost the ability to increase revenue through commodities, which is something that is a hedge against inflation and also leads towards a balanced budget. Uh, because you cannot tax your way into a balanced budget as it takes money from circulating in the economy. Um, so the best way to free up the free market while also provide, putting money in your coffers is to uh, increase those commodities. That's the energy sector through uh, uh, farming and more importantly, through minerals. And I think that we have no choice. We absolutely have to open up responsibly uh, a lot of areas to that exploration in order to uh, get us one out of uh, the 
coming stagflation uh, crisis, and secondly, uh, to allow us uh, that opportunity. So, that's something I've witnessed on some committees I've been on. I actually, in one of the a board that I served on, when you get into those budgets, even if you have to do a balanced budget, nobody wants to do a back and do a zero based budget. What's your opinion on that? There's there's many arguments, and I'm not an economist, okay. And there's many arguments for and against, but I think that what we're what we're really asking is why can't we have a, a budget that says we don't have it, we don't spend it, and if we don't have plans uh, for it, why are we signing bills for money we don't have? Um, the answer is it's just dumb. Uh, it's just dumb policy, uh, and that reason why is because you commit money in the, and I think they do it in an effort to stabilize the currency because we shuffle so much equipment and other things around. But what it ends up doing is it ends up preventing you from uh, uh, being able to make long-term investments in your own economy. And we're committing so much money around the world. And then that makes us then print more money in order to meet our own obligations here. Well, let's, uh, let's shift for just a second. And uh, while we're on that, let's, we get into a lot of debates on whether or not the Fed is or isn't part of the government, which gets into constitutional oversight. What, it's not. And the, we, we're on the same page here. In terms of constitutional interpretation, would you consider yourself a traditionalist? Do you think it's a living, breathing document? What's your interpretation on the Constitution? I'm a traditionalist. When people use the word living, breathing document, what they're insinuating is that there's enough changes within, I don't know, technology, social structures, whatever, that it would require us to modify one of the existing amendments uh, through judicial interpretation. The problem there is uh, we already have a process by which to account for that, and and that's by passing new amendments. I, I don't think that the I mean, people always say, well, we need common sense gun laws. But the Second Amendment's pretty common sense to me. Uh, it doesn't need any elaboration. And uh, the First Amendment is very clear. Uh, I don't think that we need to try and interpret our way through a breathing document. Uh, the foundation, uh, excuse me, the founding fathers' intent is very clear, very clear. And we've obviously moved so far from that. Um, uh, we need to go back to what the Constitution was intended to do, what it does, and the inalienable, inalienable rights that we have as citizens. You know, there was a bill they passed out of the House last year called H.R. 1. Mm. Made it out of the House, barely avoided passing in the Senate under Senate Bill 1. We're ta- they're talking right now, and I'm, I'm talking specifically about Schumer, about trying to go back and kill the filibuster for the specific purpose of passing that legislation. Have you had a chance to review H.R. 1? I have. Okay, so you know it's an abomination, and it effectively is designed to rape the Constitution, eliminate states' rights. Yes. If that bill were to to pass, um, there's a lot of people who are very scared about the current state of SCOTUS. And we're going to find out a lot this week about whether or not our current uh, Supreme Court has the muster that they want when they rule on mandates. And we'll get to that for a second. Do you think if that were to get passed, obviously Biden would sign it. Do you think that they would do the right thing and send it back to the states for a proper constitutional amendment, which for sure it would die? Or do you think they just try to ramrod it down our throats until SCOTUS could interpret it? So because that would be, in my opinion, a constitutional amendment. Yes. So so the the easy answer is um, they are. And and it has to be a constitutional amendment because any time that Congress moves outside of its 12 enumerated, 13 enumerated powers, they 
Um, it, it's supposed to go to the States. Uh, the problem is we have a, a SCOTUS right now where John Roberts is acting. His version of judicial restraint is to constantly kick things back down to the legislatures. Now, mm-hmm. that does sound like, hey, that's the way it's supposed to work. The problem is we then have the federal government that interprets that to mean that, well, I'm allowed to keep doing it. Supposed to be and- co-equal branches of government. Correct. Correct. So and and so when you have the federal government say, well, because the SCOTUS kicked it back. So I don't want an activist court. But what I do need is a court that makes definitive decisions. And but more importantly, what we need to stop doing is. Conservatives have I'm going to use air quotes around conservatives, Republicans in, in, in Congress right now, the majority have made this decision to punt to the courts and it's lazy and they're not even out talking about it. They are just being lazy about, they're abdicating their constitutional responsibilities. Not all of them, but I think a majority of Republicans right now are just punting to the midterms. And what that's allowing the Democrats and liberal wing of their uh, of the Democrat Party to do is to shore up their arguments and to find new avenues in which to get the legislation that they want done. And we can't depend on Joe Manchin to defend uh, the Constitution. I'm not saying he's a bad guy or whatever. I'm saying that we're now hanging on one senator well, to make cinema as well. But I mean, between those two. Right. But it's, yes. it's a shame that we've got Democrats that are, are roadblocks. Right. And and I just I, I don't think that's the way the process is supposed to work. It's not supposed to. And, and we can do better than that. Well, let's uh, let's talk about vax mandates and mass mandates and stuff in SCOTUS, because we know this week uh, that our Supreme Court is supposed to hear on whether or not Joe Biden's um, federal mandates have legality, which, you know, I, there's, there's loads of arguments on why they don't, um, starting with the 14th Amendment, starting with the law. Actually, people seem to forget that's actually on the books called HIPAA, uh, but somehow that gets ignored out there. What's your gut? Do you think they're going to I mean, we, we've already seen what the Fifth and Sixth Circuit courts have ruled. Uh, we've seen where judges ruled against the Navy forcing some. We know we have the Ninth out there that said, oh, by all means, it's good. What's your gut feeling on how SCOTUS is going to go? Because this decision is going to have monumental impact of saying the president does not have this, which obviously I'm pretty sure you and I are going to agree he doesn't, or they're going to grant him powers. So obviously I have a keen interest in this. I retire. I technically retire from the Army. I'm on terminal leave right now on January 29th. The reason why I've got January 29th is my terminal date is because January 30th is the day in which you can start to become court-martialed for not being vaccinated. So you chose you chose to leave over the vaccine? Absolutely. No, I had no choice because it was either that or lose all of my benefits. Uh, and I'm um, anyway, without getting into the nuance of that, I mean, I'm, I'm fully disabled. But the point is, I had to push through and force this through just to make this happen. I. I think that the court has three options right here. Either they can punt it back to the lower courts and or the guise of, of narrowing it or asking them to, you know, the courts to define it differently. They can make a definitive decision and say that, no, uh, the federal government doesn't have to do uh, the right to do that. Or they're going to say they do have the right. Now, the problem with the second two is that I do not believe that in the discovery process, they're going to be present them all of the information. For example, we don't have the Pfizer study and we won't ever have the Pfizer study for 75 years uh, on their own product. We won't have information. uh, I mean, we're finding out now that 
that children with COVID versus children uh, hospitalized of COVID are two distinctly different things. And the CDC finally admitted that. And those are the kind of things that when you present this to SCOTUS, you have to ask, is the risk greater than the other risk and the risk of loss of liberty in order to mandate it? But when they're not even providing them with honest information, how can they possibly discern whether or not this risk is worth it? Because otherwise you could say the risk of anything should mandate something. And that becomes, that's not even a slippery slope. That's exactly where we end up at that point. And then we end up with no soda. You're going to, you know, not allowed to do extreme sports. You're not allowed. I mean, at that point, everything is a burden society, isn't it? Correct. And, and I think that that would cause a true insurrection. Uh, a, a real uh, yes, Absolutely. Uh, if they come to my house and tell me that my children are getting that jab, they're you're, you're going to have an insurrection. I'm not afraid to say that. And and that's that's where a lot of people stand. So I think you're kicking it back down. I don't know that because you've got you definitely have two courts that have said no, and they've given extremely well versed and thought out responses. And then you've got the Ninth Circuit that came in and gave their you know general. It's it sounds liberal, so we're going to go through. I don't know if that necessarily would help, but I mean, I think they're going to have to come out and, and come down one way or the other. Uh, I, I don't think, and I think I, I'm hoping that they don't grant Joe Biden and future presidents executive powers that they shouldn't be getting. Uh, you know, and in, in the end, if, if they just one simple fact is very easy uh, for them to point out. Is there an emergency use authorization or is this a product in which there's liability? And if there's no liability, but they've given full um, ability to use that product, uh, uh, I forget which, what they're calling it, comerity uh, or whatever, that doesn't exist. So if that product doesn't exist and it's just an emergency use authorization, it's, it's a clear violation of our rights to be able to do that. And that's, that's not even getting into whether or not that shot is safe and whether or not it's even necessary uh, for children or for healthy adults. I'm just saying even that alone is enough for me to sit here and say that's the line and there's no question they should rule. Well, I, it's interesting and we're going to get something happen here pretty quick on it. And I hope it's for the benefit of the nation and not for the benefit of any one particular party. Um, speaking of the parties and speaking of Congress, okay, you're, the current body that you're campaigning for has direct oversight, the initial oversight on the president. Um, Obviously, that has not happened with Joe Biden in office, and I've I personally blogged specific crimes, constitutional crimes that this man has committed. Um, we're not going to rehash those here in terms of oversight. You know, everybody's predicting a red wave, and I, and, and I hope that's going to happen. Uh, I think a lot of it depends on whether or not Chuck Schumer finds a way to kill the filibuster. If they can't find a way to get H.R. 1 back through, that's, that, that could throw things into kilter. But let's just assume we get the best case scenario, and, and we do get a house change and we put it back in Republican hands, hopefully conservative Republican hands. Number one, what's your, what's your opinion on, on what the oversight would be and what is your opinion on looking at the impeachment of Joe Biden for his current crimes, as well as potential past crimes as vice president? So I think there's, uh, there's three things that the next legislative body is going to have to undertake. Number one, uh, we need, a clear path forward on infrastructure, on, on technological development, on bringing back manufacturing, on how we're going to handle the China problem, so forth and so on, these national issues. And we cannot fail to lay the foundation for that as because it's not going to happen in one day. It's going to happen over a period of years. 
So we need a plan and we need the plan with buy-in from, from the American people. The second thing we need to do is we need to increase and improve our direct uh, interaction and representation of the American people. And that's the nuts and bolts of being a member of Congress. That's passing laws and not getting bogged down and mired down in hearings and other things like that so that you can't even do the day-to-day business of the people's house. But that also, uh, that doesn't advocate you from your responsibility to also investigate everything that's been happening, whether it has to do with election integrity, uh, COVID response, um, the uh, heinous withdrawal and and cowardice withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, Those things have to be investigated. So how can you do all three things? Um, You just have to work harder. We we cannot say we're just going to go in there and be obstructionists. Because there's too much the American people are depending on for both the future and their current situations that require members of Congress to act. And if they will not act on it, they absolutely need to get out of the way and let someone else get in there and do their job for them. So am I to interpret that you you would be for impeaching Joe Biden? Absolutely. I think there's no question just based on Afghanistan alone uh, that we have failed uh, and that to me, he's abdicated his responsibility. He's failed in his responsibility as president. I don't think that's uh, controversial to say that. Okay. What would you consider in the Constitution of the amendments? What would you consider your favorite amendment? I mean, it's very easy to just go with it. Uh, I have to say Second Amendment. I mean, I think that the right okay. to keep and bear arms is what defends all other uh, rights that we have. And without the ability to defend ourselves, defend our property, to defend ourselves from invasion or from uh, uh, an authoritarian government within our borders, that uh, it is not revolutionary and it is not uh, inflammatory to say that the ability to keep and bear arms is what makes us a free nation and it needs to be protected at all costs, period. Okay. When you were talking about one of the three things that needed to be done, you were addressing infrastructure. Obviously, the the current infrastructure bill that has come out is anything but infrastructure. Less than ten percent would go to what would traditionally be called ridges, bro. Uh, excuse me, roads, bridges, ports, etc. Um, one of the things that's happening within the logistics industry is the attempt to automate certain technologies, which would be displacing. Uh, people. One of the ones that we're concerned about specifically is autonomous technology. Uh, have you? Are you at all familiar with what's happening in in autonomous technology in both cars or trucks? Uh, you're talking about the manufacturing of those. The, well, the, the the right now they're technically experimental. Okay, and and what you have there's currently no law either on any state, county, or federal level that legislates the development of autonomous trucking. Or autonomous vehicles. Oh, okay? I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. they're, they're they're getting the keys to the kingdom where they can experiment and do anything. There's no legislation to them whatsoever. Okay. Um, do you have a view on autonomous technology? Because you you kind of mentioned infrastructure, and we look at this as a division that impacts infrastructure in the trucking industry specifically. So that's a broad question with also a very narrow uh, scope, and that's good. Uh, Automation in general is inevitable in the sense that uh, there will just be certain jobs that will become automated. For example, I once spent fuel rods handled by robots, not humans, inside of a nuclear reactor, right? So, so I can't say a broad thing. It's like saying, 
never a new tax. And then someone creates a completely new industry and they go, ha ha, you said you couldn't tax us. Uh, I think you have to be very specific about what you mean. Um, and I think that it needs to be, as you do emerging technologies, it's very important that Congress, uh, state legislatures, uh, people need to be involved with industries to understand what laws are going to be needed, uh, not uh, extraneous ones, but ones that, so that as emerging technologies happen, laws are in step with them. Uh, a good example are drone technologies, things like that. That said, uh, I know many, many um, owner operators and professional truckers. Do I think that trucking is going to exist in 100 years? Uh, no, uh, but it, it'll be different. You know, you'll have, I don't know, maybe we'll have space truckers. I don't know. But I, I think it's, the industries do evolve, just like we had stagecoach drivers. But you're always going to have professional freight movers. And right now, those people are professional tractor trailer long haul drivers. I love them. I love driving. I drive roads when I, and I go, I do a lot of traveling. When I drive roads, I travel the truck routes because they are the best people to travel with. And they need to be protected because right now you're talking about unleashing industries that are not connected, uh, that are disassociated throughout the country. We do not have, we have patchwork laws, if any, and you are going to lead to an extremely dangerous situation in which you could bottleneck up um, uh, routes that, that people, I don't think people understand where their food comes from. And no. these are things that we cannot just part and parcel. We need to uh, take a look, good lo uh, long look at it, and we need to protect those that are protecting us and, and that are delivering our food, that are delivering our supplies, um, and we need to treat them, their, them and their industry with the respect they deserve. A couple of things we'd like you to keep in mind uh, if you're successful in your bid and you go to Congress and, and you're in, on any number of these committees. Um, and these are these are these are facts from the industries I come from. Number one, um, we're now starting to see companies that were developing these autonomous and, tr and truck and said, oh, we wouldn't to assist truckers. We wanted to add right. to Well, now they're coming out and said, no, we're coming out to replace them. Okay. That's a concern mm -hmm. because what happens if a load ship, what happens if a, 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 a wheel blows? We've not even discussed the ability to turn it into a weapon and you know, somebody will. That's, those are some right. concerns. We don't want people to lose jobs. Here's the other thing I want you to keep in mind from a backstop if this technology proliferates without some type of, of any type of regulation behind it. Currently in the insurance industry, and I know this because I've been in it for nearly 30 years and focused on these areas, there is not one single insurance company on the planet that will insure a fully autonomous vehicle, be it a car or be it a truck. And the reason is, is because that's not just, that's not Kenworth just simply putting out Kenworth parts. That's someone that bought a Kenworth or a Peterbilt or, or a Big Mac chassis, and they've converted it and it's got multiple systems. And when you have these wrecks, it's not just going to be one company's liable. It's going to be multiple companies liable. So you're talking right. about the litigation costs are going to go through the roof. You've also got to, it's, it's not a matter of if one of these are going to have a wreck. It's a matter of when. Of course. And if it was a billion dollar company and then they have to pay out a $600 million loss and the bad press takes it from a billion dollar company now down to a half million dollar company, you could have literally three or four incidences and wipe a company out. So my point is there's no financial backstop for the autonomous industry. Okay. There's a lot of people that think there is, there is none. So if you're successful in Congress, we'd like for you to keep that in mind because this is right now, I've never seen an industry uh, in this day and age have absolute keys to the kingdom. I'm talking on the federal level. I'm talking on the state level. I'm talking county level where there is no oversight. Everybody's just saying, go develop it, make it happen. And, and it's terrifying what could happen 
as this is going through. Too Simple, which is one of these companies, just had a successful uh, long haul on, on Arizona highways that they've advertised as a success. They're not having to keep any type of logs. I mean, they don't have to do the safety stuff that a driver does. Just because they can do it what they feel is more effectively doesn't make it a better product. We'd like you to keep that in mind if you have a successful bid to Congress. On that note, I want to shift on something else that if you get to that level, depending on what committee you might have, um, are you familiar with the term lawsuit financing? Have you ever heard of that? Uh, no, I actually haven't. Okay. Let me kind of give this to you because and when you hear about it, you may you may, may start ringing some bells. What lawsuit financing is, it's a, it's a concept that came out about 20 years ago, but really started picking up steam about five years ago. And what it is, is let's say I'm a truck driver and I run into you, okay? And you get a lawyer to sue me because, hey, I've, I've damaged you. And that lawyer used to, in the past, have to make a business decision as to whether or not they wanted to pursue it or try to settle it. What was the best deal? Well, now they've got outside companies coming in and going to that lawyer and say, you know what? We're going to pay you, your client, a few bit of damages, and we're going to take an interest in this lawsuit to try to drive up the cost, drive up the settlement so that we can make, in return, a higher return on investment. And the formal name is lawsuit financing. It has come around really hard since 2016. It has brought about what we call in the trucking industry, nuclear lawsuits. You see these $100 million, $200 million lawsuits that you read about in the news. That's where these are going. These are all related to lawsuit financing. Currently, it's nothing that anybody in the House Transportation Committee uh, with the current control in that house has any interest in taking up with. It's been a state issue and the states are slow to go about. We would like you to take that information and again, if you make it, regardless of committee, make it a, a something that you could look into. Could we have your commitment on that? Absolutely. That's uh, I, as a matter of fact. I would ask you if you could offline to uh, send me some information on that, so I can dig into it and then um, and reach out to. Uh, and if you have some experts, but I'd like to reach out to some experts. I know I I think that it's unfair to say uh, exactly how the legislation is going to look until you know that. But I can right. commit to there should be regulation and structure on that. And by the way, tort reform um, on so many levels in so many industries needs to be done. And it's become such a cottage industry to sue people in this country. And the intent behind these lawsuits used to be that it would prevent future occurrences, act as a deterrence. And it's no longer that case. Now it's just simply a, a reward system for attorneys. And I'm not trying to badmouth all attorneys. I recognize right. the group, but, and that's not supposed to happen. People are having their lives ruined. I mean, if an insurance company goes under, by the way, that's, that's people's retirement money. And I don't think people are fully grasping uh, the, because everyone thinks of these people as nebulous corporations. A private owner operator is not a corporation. They are just another mom and pop operation in most instances. And, and a lot of those people live as a, as a family out of that, uh, out of that vehicle. Uh, and I don't mean that in a sad way. I mean, in a wonderful way, they enjoy the road, but they get that taken away from their whole life, taken away from them over. It's not even that it's frivolous lawsuits. Like you said, if you cause an accident, it's the nature in which those lawsuits are conducted and, and, the collateral damage it does to those people and those families. Well, what's happened is the the the, litig the plaintiff side has gotten on the attorneys. They've gotten very adept to reading now safety manuals, and they've gotten very slick. I mean, I'm yes, and and the trucking industry has its issues. They've got to clean up. I'm not 
exonerated. No, no. I mean, everybody can always improve. Yeah. The challenge is right now from an insurability standpoint, okay, with some of the frequency and some of the severity is the the insurance to run and operate a truck, these mom and pop companies, uh, they're reaching elasticity of what they can afford. And in a lot of cases, you've got companies folding because they, they simply can't afford to operate anymore because they can't pay can't pay their insurance. So it's very important. Uh, it's something we've tried to get the current House Tran- Transportation Committee to address uh, their counterpart on the Senate side, which, by the way, has a Republican running it. And we simply cannot get any traction. So we'd like to, you know, if we've got somebody up there new, doing that, it would certainly help. I'm going to ask switch- a about that real quick. Absolutely. Uh, wh- wh- so is this have anything to do similar to many other um, laws and how they tend to favor? And I'm, and I'm not bad mouthing the drivers, but the companies themselves, but fleets, are they the ones preventing this from happening? Because I know that fleets can most likely afford to probably push back on an attorney like that, but single uh, and small owner operators probably couldn't. No, I'm just curious. About I mean, the, 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 the big here's the, the people think the big fleets represent most of the truckers. They don't. Oh, you've got no, they three billion. No. They rep- represent at most 15 percent of the trucks out there. Right. Um, what got the attention was several years ago there. And I'll give you a specific example and a specific uh, verdict on it. There was Warner Trucking uh, had a new driver with a uh, experienced driver that was driving in West Texas on I-40. There were problems. There was a little bit of ice coming out. Uh, There was a large meeting in between. There was another vehicle coming the opposite direction that hit the median, came across, and hit the Warner truck. This is an undisputed fact, okay? So that vehicle hit the Warner truck. What happened was the attorneys took Warner safety manuals and safety guidelines, which said under those driving conditions that that driver should not have been driving. Okay. And they used that and spin it and said, well, because that driver was driving those people, instead of hitting a tree, hit the truck. And and it was over a $90 million lawsuit. Okay. And that was one of many that have come about. And the whole thing was, well, he shouldn't have been on the road. Okay. I'll grant you that, but he might've hit another car. And that's what's happened is they've gotten very creative, gone through. So you have a situation where the, the undisputed facts that the other person came across and hit the truck, but the truck came through and you can only have so many of these shocks to the system. In Warner's case, they're self-insured. Okay. They, they took this on and they, they challenged it, but we've got a lot of smaller cases where this has come through. I mean, I can sit and give you a list of, of a number of nuclear lawsuits. You can do an internet search on it and start reading the facts and you're just going to pull your hair out. How do three people get $200 million? Okay. I mean, just some no. of the, the, so it's something that it's reached a boiling point where from a, from a truck driver standpoint, and I spend a lot with time with on truckers. Uh, it's a, it's an endangerment to the sector and it's got to be addressed because if they can't afford to, to operate those trucks, they're not running. And I know there's people say, well, well, we'll get the automation going. Well, even if you got the automation going, you're not going to eliminate issues because nobody's going to insure them. So there's just, it's a lot of stuff. It, it needs attention of someone that has an interest in it. Our, uh, I, I hate to be detrimental on air, but our, our current secretary, Pete Buttigieg, he is drinking from a fire hose. He doesn't know what's going on. And he he's probably one of the worst cabinet appointees I've ever seen in history to be in a position of so much power and so much influence of what we do as a nation to not have a clue. And that's something, you know, what, you know, if you're looking at the house, but you got to talk to your Senate counterparts, if you get there, we don't just need to be putting anybody in these, in these cabinet seats. 
Um, want to shift gears for just a second. Talk about campaign finance. Your your folks across the aisle say that we need to take Citizens United and smash it um, and completely redo campaign finance and come up with something new. They want draconian. Where do you stand on campaign finance? You know, whenever I hear an argument like that uh, or a discussion like that, and by the way, just to close out, your issue is very important to me. So we will talk about that and continue that conversation. But talking about campaign finance reform, I, I, I think what people really want is they want to know that their member of Congress is going up and doing things openly and honestly. And I'll give you an example. If somebody asked me, would you take money from uh, uh, you know, from a lobbyist. And I said, well, what does that mean? And they said, well, would you take money from, um, I, I don't know, big, big companies or from whatever? And I said, you know, there's trade organizations within my district. There's just small, co- you know, they got together and said, hey, I don't I make up something because it isn't true. I don't want to call anybody out. But there's some muffler shops that all got together and said, hey, we can't afford it. Uh, so we'll go and we'll all chip in and get somebody to go up and talk to our Congress member. And so you go, okay, well, you know, not all money is bad, but I, that's not really what it's about. Here's the real question. Why is it that people have to spend money to talk to their member of Congress? Why do people have to be a big donor to have input on a bill? Uh, this is not, um, uh, it's, uh, yes, obviously, trade organizations and, and businesses, they employ a lot of people. They're very important. They have needs uh, and they need to be addressed as well. But you don't treat a business differently because of its size. All, all rules should be the same. You shouldn't close one business, a mom and pop business for two years because of COVID, but allow Walmart to stay open. And when you talk about campaign finance reform, what you're really saying is what I can commit to and guarantee every single meeting I have, unless it's sensitive, military, people's lives at stake, every meeting I have uh, will be publicly open. Uh, I will tell everyone everything that was discussed, if a lobbyist or a trade organization or anyone comes in, you make every bit of information public. There's no reason for any of this to be hidden from my, my employers because uh, that's who they are. They're my boss. What is that going to do? I think that encourages people to expect more from their representatives. Um, I think there are laws you can write that, that argue for that. But I think in the end, when it comes to campaign finance reform, you have to allow people the ability to play with uh, unions. Uh, you have to allow private citizens to be able to have a voice and to band with others to get things done in this country. Um, but they also deserve transparency. Now, there's a bill that's that came close, and this was in part of the Build Back Better. And it had been a separate bill. It was combined. It was called the PRO Act. Um, the PRO Act was basically trying to unionize everything. And I'm not anti-union. Mm-hmm. You want to be in union, be union. Um, but it was going to basically eliminate almost uh, 70,000 independent contractors in the United States if it's passed. We don't know where this is going to go yet. If you get elected and you get in and, and there's some of these bad bills, will you work to reverse or strangle these bills where they can't do any good? Absolutely. There's no question. Uh, the right to work is 
you, you've seen the shift that the president, our resident in chief, has been using when he says good union jobs, good union jobs. There are lots of good non-union jobs. Uh, and we do not need to. It's not about unions being good or bad. It's about the fact that people should have the right to work where they want to work and employers should be have the right to hire whoever they want to hire and and fire those that aren't meeting their benchmark uh, uh, and as long as it's not retaliatory for you know, sexual harassment, you should be able to fire anybody who isn't meeting what your expectations are in your business. And if you're firing or driving away talent, your business will suffer. It's the free market. And um, we need to eliminate any of these roadblocks to that uh, free market that Democrats have put in place in the last two years. I don't think he really it, it thought that much of unions because he killed a lot of good paying union jobs from day one when he killed the Keystone XL pipeline. It's brain. It's it's mind-boggling to me that he turned around and did that. I, I, it's insane. Uh, you just immediately took away our energy independence, and you took away so many good jobs and all of the uh, feeder jobs that went into those industries. Just gone. All right, let's get your opinion on the Green New Deal. Where do you stand on the Green New Deal? Oh, I actually support it. I think AOC is the most the smartest person that's ever been to Congress. Sarcasm come through on the radio? I'm not sure. I uh, hope so for your sake. <laughs> everybody just clicked their radio over. Well, I guess that guy's done. Uh, no, I, you know, it's, uh, I can't help it. I just so desperately love her. That's what she says. Uh, no, I think that the Green New Deal is a, is a sham. Um, I hate when people say that Republicans aren't environmentalists. I love, uh, I'm an environmentalist, period. I just also say that we are masters of this planet that God gave us. Uh, I don't know. We're supposed to be good stewards, but the idea that we're going to destroy, and you, you read the green, have you actually read that? I'm curious. Have you read I, through that? I, I dissected, I do. I mean, I've done, I've done segments on what we call the climate live, had people on from the CO2 coalition. That Look, there, is the earth warming up? Yes. Yes. You know what else? We, we, cool. We're producing more rain. We're growing more food. We're feeding more people. We're doing more things. And we're nowhere near the parts per million we were back in the dinosaur age. So we're not I, about you, to explode. But, you know, when you sit here and, and when people talk about that, it blows my mind because you go, you know, if the United States, I just tweeted this, actually, if the United States went back to the Stone Age and cut our population to a thousand people. The earth would, we would not stop pollution. We would not Correct. stop their supposed CO2 uh, because China and India have no caps. Like the Paris Climate Accord, we met those standards without even trying because they never signed on to their own standards. They said, oh, yeah, we'll get back to us in 2030. It's insane. Uh, the Green New Deal is a joke. It's a joke. It's just another socialist push. Instead of offering people opportunity, which is what they really want. They just want to give people handouts and let them sit around and play with, you know, their uh, arts degrees and whatever else that they're doing. I have no idea. It's insane. Well, here's the thing. You could you could be, like you said, environmentally friendly. I don't have a problem with electric vehicles per se. If you as a consumer want to buy that and you feel that's your deal, that's fine. I have a problem with being pushed down our throats, especially when our infrastructure can't handle it. Which brings me, let's, let's switch to energy for just a second. I think I know you're staying on oil and gas. Um, one of the things right now that's quietly, very heavily being pushed with a lot of funding and a lot of new chatter being the new carbon-free energy is nuclear. Where do you stand on nuclear in terms of current and future proliferation of the technology? I'm fully on board with nuclear. I think that uh, it's become extremely safe. I think that... Uh, uh, 
with new methodologies and with uh, new uh, ways in which they handle spent fuel, uh, it's an excellent way to go and to stabilize uh, your energy grids, uh, especially with as we continue to have um, a demand for higher capacity. Uh, it's a way in which we can guarantee uh, that we have the energy that we need. Um, whether and, and by the way, it's not just about common uh, basic uh, needs. It's about the ability to expand our infrastructure and to expand manufacturing. That said, I think that uh, oil and, and gas and, and even coal are going to be what uh, provides us the ability to get to um, uh, uh, nuclear. And um, I don't have a problem with energy. I think electric vehicles are great. I think they require rare earth minerals that we're buying from China. And we either need to start... Uh, mining for them here or we need to agree to find a different path um well because you're, you're, the people time. that currently occupy the house actually came out and i apologize for not having this bill uh, if you talk with congressman bruce westerman who's on the uh on that committee uh there was a bill that came out to stop the mining of rare earth minerals such as cobalt in the state of minnesota it's I was in Afghanistan when they were uh, giving away Afghanistan to China. Um, China is doing it in Africa. They're doing it in Asia. Uh, they have no qualms about it. Uh, I don't want to go, um, you know, rape our natural, uh, uh, beautiful parks. But, you know, how, how much of our Western half of our country are national parks or national land or federal preserves that are sitting there ripe with, uh, uh, minerals and other things that we need. But if we're going to do that, one, you have to make the commitment to preserve um, as much as possible. Uh, I would say start with Alaska if we could. But secondly, what we have to do is say that, hey, look, we need to use emerging technologies and, and capture those. So I use the word capture. We need to capture methane gas. We need to, there's lots of things that we could use for energy, but the answer is not solar. Um, because we don't have the rarest minerals for it. The answer is not wind. It's not consistent enough. Um, and and if we don't have a consistent energy grid, we're never going to have consistent um, uh, economy. Because I, I think I was just talking to somebody, the 49% of all of your, from farm to table, every product you have in your life is 49% energy. That's the cost. So if you cost cut energy just by 20%, you've literally cut off inflation at the knees. Yeah. And you've you've increased your your cost for food dramatically. I uh, want to cover last. We're, we're almost out of time. Want to cover last two topics. Um, one is we were, you just talk about technology. Let's talk about social media, social justice. Should social media platforms be reconsidered as a utility and regulated, or do we just need to say laissez-faire, let the market come out and bring competition in? If the uh, if they had not made the decision to editorialize and get involved in elections, uh, then I would argue that they were uh, or or worse what they're doing right now, which is taking um, uh, instructions from the federal government on restricting free speech, which makes it fascism. So uh, before they were doing that, I would have argued that it's laissez-faire. I let the market decide. At this point, um, because of editorializing, I actually think they should be reclassified as news publications and be responsible for the defamation that occurs and be responsible for their editorializing. Um, they themselves, uh, I, I'll give you an example, and this is dumb, but I'm not even verified on Twitter. I'm a candidate, an official candidate on the ballot with, with national endorsements and I'm not even verified. Uh, why does that matter? Because I can't get verified in Ballotpedia because Ballotpedia requires that I be verified by Twitter. And 
So you sit here and you go, I can't even the number one Google search that a person would come across. I can't even be considered a candidate, even though I'm on the ballot because Twitter decided that my sources I gave them weren't good enough and I can't reapply for 30 days, nor can I argue it. When somebody has that much power to control what they just did in Major Taylor Green, or, or, uh, when they have that much power uh, to control the national conversation, they need to be accountable. Okay. All right. One last thing, tax policy. Where do you stand on tax policy? Do you feel that the current system that we have is adequate or does it need to be thrown on the scrap heap in a new system looked at? Uh, I, I think it needs to be thrown on the scrap heap. I don't think that I mean, there's so many things wrong with it that we, we don't have enough time in this uh, segment to talk about it. So I'll just say that there are many options that we could use moving forward. But at, at any point, if you are paying more taxes or we are taxing businesses or individuals more than anyone else in the world is in their country, or uh, uh, then we are doing ourselves a disservice as a free market economy. Um, and our inability to simplify the tax code is costing people um, billions of dollars. And, and it's just money that we are just sucking out of, out of industries that could really use that investment. Um, I understand that the IRS and the tax industry is huge, but um, those are professionals that could be absorbed. I think we need to simplify the tax code. We need to uh, we need to stop taxing people. As a matter of fact, if anything, we need to cut taxes and and therefore stop this runaway inflation. Well, on that it gets back to spending. One last thing came up on air is um, the money we send to foreign countries. Is it legitimate? Is it a great big Ponzi scheme or a little bit of both? A um, little bit of both. I mean, I've been there and seen that money spent. Some of it is well spent. Uh, a lot of it isn't. Um, we, we give a lot of money to people who are the enemy of my enemy and they're not our friends. Uh, we do have a lot of money to people who don't believe the same things we believe. I mean, they'll still cancel flights to Texas, but they want us to give money. I'm talking about California, but they'll let us give money to Saudi Arabia. Well, they're throwing gay people off of roofs over there. Uh, and what Texas just wants to have a, a, a heartbeat bill. And yet you'll say you won't come here anymore. That's, that's ludicrous. So we need to be, um, we need to stop being so free with our money uh, and we need to start asking for things in return. That is not bad. Uh, that's not bad policy. China does it. Uh, we just, we we're need gonna, to. We're, I'm sorry. We're, we're almost out of time. Give that's us your okay. website. Wrap, we, I, I gave you 20 seconds and I got I to gotta show the Perfect. show. Perfect. Storm for Congress. That's S-T-O-R-M for the number four Congress uh, dot com. Uh, it's Jason Storm Chaser Nelson on the ballot. And uh, I would just, you know, come and find us. And we on Twitter. It's at, at uh, Storm for Congress, same as the uh, website. But uh, this is going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting eight weeks. And uh, I just really appreciate you bringing me on the show. Thank you. All right, folks. That's Jason Storm Chaser Nelson. And uh, he's running for Congressional District 17 in Texas. Check out his site. Uh, you've been listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. I'm glad to be back live. Again, uh, every show that we do, we like to be a little educational, a little informational, and hopefully entertaining to some degree. You can go to my website, informationedge.net. Catch me on Twitter at InfoEdge65. You can catch me on Gab and Getter because, yes, I'm there now at DGNC65. And we'll be back next week. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have more to share then.